Hi, uh, this is Nicholas Forrest from the AList.art, and I'm here at Roslyn Oxley Nine Gallery in Sydney with uh, British artist Isaac Julian, who has a has an exhibition here uh, of one of his early films and uh, and a group of photographs uh, associated with that film as well. So. Isaac, first of all, congratulations on your uh, CBE. Are you excited about that? It was, it was very surreal, and um, yes, it was quite exciting too. So did you get to meet royalty? Yes, I did indeed. I met um, Charles, who gave me my award, my medal, my wow. gong. Your gong. That's a pretty good gong to get. Very nice. Well, I certainly uh, would say you des- you're well-deserved award you certainly contributed a lot thank uh, you so it's fantastic so so the main uh, part of the exhibition is a film from so it's from 1989 and it's called uh, looking for langston uh so do you want to just uh tell us a bit about what the influence was and, and how you came to make this film well i, I guess there's three reasons first of all in Looking for Langston, it's a film which is not so much a biopic about Langston Hughes, which was the great Harlem writer and author who was one of the kind of main sort of starlets of the Harlem Renaissance. Well, most people probably wouldn't have heard of the Harlem Renaissance, actually, but it, it was for me really very important because it was the high point of black artists involved with modernism. In America, you had this real explosion that occurred in New York in the 20s and 30s of people moving from south to north and this explosion of artists coming together and really exploring lots of different things as writers, poets, musicians, etc. And so for me, I was looking for that sort of, if you like, um, movement in the arts and I found it through the Harlem Renaissance and Langston was its key for me. Okay. And you've, uh, you've done the film in a sort of, a, it's a film noir sort of look to it, uh, in black and white. Uh, is that just looking back to the, to the times and the sort of films that were around at the time? Yes, I mean, there's a real kind of um, influence of black and white photography, um, carousel right, lighting, and also you could say the kind of film noir technique that was developed through black and white silent cinema. And I guess you could say the influence of black and white photography when I was researching the work was really important because it was there that I kind of first encountered images of Langston Hughes and his fellow travellers. And also it was in the art that was also being produced by people like Van der Zee, who was like a fantastic photographer, and other people like... Um, Carvin Vecton, um, George Platt Lees, the fashion photographer, gay fashion photographer. And of course, I was looking at all of this in the early to mid 80s when Robert Maberfort became really important voice in gay culture. And his black and white photography was really one of the first spaces where I saw, in a way, were quite controversial images of black gay, black gay men. And so I think all of these things was a motor drive towards making the film and 
Langston Hughes was someone who wasn't so well known in terms of his sexual identity. He was quite enigmatic, but he was a really famous poet. And so um, I guess poetry, sexuality and desire intertwined in the making of the work. And I suppose in, in 89, that was sort of at that, the height of that fear regarding all, you know, that AIDS epidemic, wasn't it really? Was that sort of the, the time, you know, when that was sort of in people's minds uh, as well? Did that sort of influence? Absolutely, because I think the question of mortality was really quite high on the agenda. Yeah. And I was attending lots of funerals of friends and people that I knew. Yeah. And I think it gave a certain zeitgeist to really trying to explore some of these questions which became very important mm. and urgent and so I think that question of urgency very much informed the sort of aesthetics where the film was made and to have something which would somehow memorialise this moment so I think the idea of poetry and the voices that these poets gave to communities which were undergoing these really in a way kind of terrible experiences was very pivotal to making the work. So Essex Hemphill, for example, you could say was a modern-day Langston Hughes, in the same way that James Baldwin um, you know, encapsulated that kind of really important voice for black civil rights. You get this sort of beginning in that particular moment of a number of really strong voices which are kind of at the forefront of pushing these questions in the face of AIDS and a lot of them actually kind of died as well you know from this kind of um, you know condition that created this very kind of um, yeah I mean pressing situation at that particular moment in gay culture so uh, now uh well, we almost, what, so 89, so what, 28, 28 years later, and how do you think the, the film kind of reads now? Do you think it has a, I mean, it's in, it's in a different context. How, how do you think it presents now, and what do you think it, it speaks to in relation to the current times? Well, in a way, the impetus to making the exhibition derives actually from the fact that the photographic images which were made in tandem with the film were lost. And so I had to involve myself in quite a long conservation project of re-engineering the images from photographic stills into new negatives and then using post-production techniques which were both analogue and digital to produce these really quite, what I think are fantastic large-scale photographic works which represent the cinematic and the photographic. But I think sort of um, this conservation work then became important for it to be reintroduced to a young generation of people who perhaps hadn't had this experience. But at the same time, in the time of Black Lives Matter, in the fact that we have almost returned back to James Baldwin's America, that perhaps these questions are resonating in a particular manner for a young audience. In a way, you're part of that young audience. I don't know how they resonate for you, but I think that, you know, we have sort of 50 years of um, sort of 
the legalization of sort of gay culture in Britain. We've had the acceptance of gay marriage in law in Australia. So it feels like a watershed moment. It feels like, you know, this exhibition is coming on the eve of the Maplethorpe exhibition at the Art Gallery in New South Wales, and, you know, that these questions are coming to the forefront to a certain degree. And so... I, I didn't plan all of that, but... <laughs> yeah, well, it certainly it, worked out well, hasn't it? It, it would seem as though you had. <laughs> there's a certain serendipity, but also, yeah, there's a certain... Yeah, in, in our studio, we're working on different projects which we're conserving, because um, I'm very interested in what is the possible longevity of these works. Okay, so... How long does the film go for? The film's roughly, I think, 40 minutes, yeah. And it, so there's a, a narrative to it, a particular story? Well, I think there's a story. It's a kind of story based on um, a kind of exploration of the Harlem Renaissance. It's also a story about sort of gay desire and what that looked like in the 20s and 30s. There's also the search for Langston Hughes. We never quite find him, but we see him quite often in the film doing things which are perhaps things which might have occurred in his fantasies um, but are kind of being displayed nonetheless for a kind of audience that can have the opportunity to meditate on these questions through the use of the poetry. Um, the poetry from Hughes, like I Loved My Friend. It's a very simple poem. I loved my friend, he went away from me. The poem ends softly as it began. I loved my friend. And um, stars, oh, sweep of stars of a Harlem street. I lit a breath of oblivion that is night. Reach up your hand, dark boy, and take a star from that little breath of oblivion that is night. Take just one star. Those poems, I think, are so fantastic and so much resonate with, I think, timeless. And so I was really wanting to make images that could somehow have that same timelessness encapsulated within them. So I guess the rest is, the test is, you know, um, yeah, can it stand the test of time? I think this project is about can projects that you make stand the test of time. So what was the reaction to the film like in 1989 when you first released it? Well, people really, it had a really fantastic reaction and it's a work that was very much celebrated, it was a work that was widely seen, it's work that has sort of had a certain impetus and importance. It's really part of of the beginning of the new quest cinema movement. And it was also work which I think a lot of people saw as representing a voice that had not been part of the kind of art world or part of the cinematic world um, before. So, and of course, the Hughes estate. Um, objected to the film with the relationship of homoeroticism and Hughes's work and so they that caused a kind of controversy and I became a kind of cause celeb in the process 
and the work got taken up by a number of important black writers like Bell Hooks and Cornel West and Henry Louis Gates and I guess that's why I ended up teaching at Harvard, you know, really in relationship to this work. So wow. it became... So it's really a seminal work of, of your career. It is one of my seminal works, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yet you, at the time you were part of a, um, a collective, uh, is that right? What was, the, what was the name of the collective? Sankofa, Sankofa. Collective, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So who else was in the... It was um, Nadine Marsh-Edwards, who was a producer of the work. Right, okay. Martina Atele, who was um, involved in the initial sort of scripting. Right. My partner, Mark Nash, yeah. who did a lot of the archival research okay. and actually helped me write the script. Wow. And, um, and so you can see everybody involved in the film at the very beginning of the exhibition. Yeah. Okay. So the, all the um, all the actors in it were all are they are they British actors? I mean, they're people that you. They're all friends of mine. They're all friends of yours. Yeah. It's a, okay. Including Jimmy Somerville, um, Derek McClintock. Wow. Who is part of this film noir Angels image? Okay. Um, he's passed away, and. Uh, Matthew Boudreau, who plays Beauty, is looking at John Wilson in this kind of George Platt Lee's kind of image, yeah. which I've mimed. Wow. He's a friend of mine. Okay. The main protagonist, who plays Hughes, is, has died. Yeah. Ben Ellison. Okay. Um, wow. So a few memories in there as well. There are indeed. And um, I can certainly say that uh, you yourself, having being in some of the photos, you haven't aged, and that's that's you really haven't. You look exactly the same. No, I think I did. As you did in 1989. So anyway, it's a fantastic exhibition. So thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me and. Uh, Congratulations once again on, on the CBE and, and for the exhibition as well. Thank you very much. Glad to be too.